Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. It's a mistake that we constantly make, and it's because of our sin that we think that religion is about doing things. And that the only thing that differs in religions is which things the religion tells you to do. And this is to put the cart before the horse, because religion, true religion, is not about doing things. It's about loving one. And the one we love is God. And God is never satisfied to have us do things. First of all, because when we, when we do do things, we don't really do them. We're always acting as if we're doing things that we're not actually doing. I had the wonderful privilege of getting uh, a, uh, a uh, camera ticket for the first time in my life. And, you know, they send you this thing, and you get it in the mail, and, and it tells you you owe the city of Lombard $100. And we were up there, and I was in my car. I knew this, but the ticket was for running a red light. And I knew I hadn't run a red light. <laughs> and so they allow you to go online and see what you actually did. There's a movie of you. So I went online, and I looked at what I actually did. And what I actually did was I, I pulled up in the right lane to turn right, and I stopped, and then I started, and then I stopped again, and then I turned right. right. But, of course... Neither time did I actually stop. It's kind of funny because if I had actually stopped the first time, I would have gotten through the intersection quicker. And so you can see my conscience bugging me. You know, so I, I, I almost stop and then I start and then I almost stop again. But I never stopped either time. And this really is a good analogy for how we obey God we're really more concerned in making a good enough show that the cop won't give us a ticket. But that was a camera, and a camera has no milk of human compassion. A camera doesn't recognize that hypocrisy is a tribute that vice pays to virtue. <laughs> you know? And so there I was. I, they, they got me, and it really made me mad. I mean, how do they know it's me driving that car? And then on the ticket, it says it doesn't matter whether you or somebody else is driving. We're ticketing your car. You're the owner. You have to pay it, even if somebody else was driving. It's like, they got me there, too. You know, I still don't like camera tickets. But religion is not doing what's right or not doing what's wrong. True religion is loving God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind, and all of our strength. That's what religion is. And we do not love God if we don't obey him, which Alex made very clear in Sunday school today. And so we hear that, and we think, okay, I'll obey God, and then maybe I'll love him. But if you were here today, Alex said, no, you will only obey him if you love him. And we always want to put the cart in front of the horse. We always want to go straight to baptism, to circumcision, to keeping the law, to not being homosexual, to not committing adultery, or at least looking but not touch. We always have these things that we want to do, and then we're good enough for God. 
and all you're going to do is almost stop twice. The only thing that will really motivate you to stop once completely is because you love the lawgiver and you want to please him. And I'll tell you something else. Even if you do stop once completely and you don't love God, you have not obeyed him. Because he wants you to stop completely once because you love him. Motivation matters to God. You all know this. You know that if your wife has to remind you that it's your anniversary, (laughs) it really doesn't matter what you do. It won't please her, really. Because you're doing it because you don't want her yelling at you that you don't love her. And we have to realize that the only thing that's going to make us love God is to be completely convinced of our failure to love him and to obey him. And that's where the love of God begins. The love of God begins when we're absolutely convinced that inside of us, there's nothing good. And there, then, that is Jesus dying for us. And the only thing that could help us is the death of Jesus. It's the only thing that can help me. And so we're studying the book of Romans, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians up in the capital of the Roman Empire. And the Apostle Paul wants to tell us, to teach us, to preach to us the gospel. Gospel's good news. But we get very impatient because as he writes the letter, he keeps showing us how sinful we are. We're like, okay, okay, that's enough of the law. Give us the gospel. But no, he's giving us the gospel when he gives us the law. Because what he's doing is he's cutting off every detour we want to take. He's shutting us up with every excuse we have. He's, he's, he's closing door after door after door on us in our squirrely, weasley ways. Until what? Until our mouths are shut. Shut. Uh, I once had the experience of listening to the elders rebuke a woman. And her husband, it was evident, had never done that. Because no matter what Wayne Hook said to her, that woman just had an excuse and it went on and on. And trust me, what she did was very serious. <laughs> Real serious. And uh, finally, after watching for half an hour, her just bop, 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 didn't listen to one thing. The whole board of elders is sitting there. Wayne Huck sitting there. And Wayne Huck is talking to her in behalf of the elders who have met to discuss what to say to her. And finally, I made the mistake of doing what? I said, let's say her name is Betty. I said, Betty, shut up. I just couldn't believe this woman's audacity with Wayne Huck sitting there rebuking her, you know? And so they left the church because Pastor Bailey had said, shut up to his wife. Well, (laughs) I learned a lesson, and the lesson is that I should say, shut your mouth. Because it sounds a little different for for it to be reported that Pastor Bailey told somebody to shut their mouth than shut up. (laughs) Okay, the Apostle Paul is, is speaking to us in such a way that will get us to what? 
shut our mouths. Okay? And we're picking the story up in the middle of him trying to get us to shut our mouths. Because it's not until we shut our mouths that we love Jesus. It's not until you stop making excuses for your sin that you'll love Jesus. Where you just say, okay, God, you got my number. My mouth is shut. Give me the blood of Jesus. Okay? Let's hear the word of God as it's given to us, recorded for us in Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 29. This is the word of God. It is eternally true. But, we're picking it up midstream, but if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written, For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you're a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor of the law, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. This is the word of the Lord. Now, the, description, the divisions of Scripture into chapters and verses are not inspired. They, they come from men. They come from men who are students of Scripture. And sometimes they do a good job, sometimes maybe not so much, but they generally try to divide it according to the, to the logic of the text, right? Well, if there's ever a good division of Scripture that's uninspired, it's the one between chapters 1 and chapters 2 of Romans. Now, those of you who are here each week know that you've heard me say many times that every time I cut grass, I listen to the book of Romans. I have these noise-isolating earphones because the lawnmower is loud, stick them deep in my ear canals, and I listen to Romans. And I know how much of Romans it requires to cut Doug and Heather's, how much our, our lawn, how much Donna's lawn, I know, right? I cut it this last summer about 10 acres a week, all right? So I spent a lot of time on the lawnmower. And so Romans is burned into me. I just listen to it over and over and over again. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that so that you will find ways of, of, of listening to Scripture and living by it. Eating it, okay? And that's, 
a double dip that I have. I cut the grass and I listen to That's good. Two birds with one stone. In all of Scripture, I think the part of Scripture that I feel most wounded and bloody is the beginning of chapter 2 of Romans 1. Okay? I don't think there's any place in Scripture that more convicts me of my wickedness than the first verse of chapter 2 of Romans. Why? Well, in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is explaining to the Romans the gospel. And we always preach the gospel by showing people their sin. That's how you preach the gospel. Because somebody who thinks they're good will never go to Jesus. And so he starts by preaching the law. But he doesn't start by preaching the law to the Christians, to the churchgoers, because that's what the Jews were then. The Jews then were you today. You're in a church, a Christian church. In other words, God's people. He didn't start Romans 1 by dealing with God's people. He, he started by dealing with the goyim. Now, who are the goyim? Well, the goyim, I'll explain this way. In Orthodox Jewish communities in New York City, they have a person who is paid to push the buttons on the elevators and to light the stove and to do all the jobs on Sunday that make the Jews' life convenient that they're not allowed to do because of the Sabbath. And so they don't care whether their servants observe the Sabbath or not. So they pay people to break the Sabbath so that their life can be convenient. This still goes on. They've designed elevators now in such a way that they don't have to have somebody actually pushing the button for the Jews, right? Now, what do they call the person who pushes the button on the elevator and lights the stove, turns the stove on? They call him the Sabbath goy. Goyim is plural of goy. Being a Sabbath goy is not pretty. It means people who think they're godly are paying you to be ungodly. Do you see this? Because actually, the commandment says that neither you nor your slaves nor your sons nor your daughters. But they go ahead and pay people because as far as they're concerned, they don't give a rip about anybody else as long as they don't have to push the button. And then they can say they've kept the law. Romans chapter 1 is all about the Sabbath goys. And what the Apostle Paul, as a Jew, does is he explains to the people in the church that pagans, Gentiles, Sabbath goyim, all right, are filthy. That's what he does. And he's not talking about them washing their hands. He's talking about their moral conduct. And so he just goes on and on and on and on. And what it sounds like, if you can, if you can feel the difference between a, a, a different age of history and a different geography, what it sounds like is somebody who's driving a Prius on the east side of Bloomington talking about anybody that lives on the west side of Bloomington. <laughs> Trust me, I'm right. I mean, they don't know what kind and width of ties to wear. They don't know what, you know, what is it, carbon dating is, you know, where, where nitrogen and carbon, like, get together. Or no, wait, carbon, not carbon dating, but 
Yeah, carbon, yeah. Who, who, you said footprint. Do you live on the east or west side? Okay, okay. So on the east side, you know what the carbon footprint is? You know what the word, are you ready? Should we all say it together? Let's say it in such a way that we can, we can, we can, you know. Okay, you ready? Sustainable. Okay? Can we all say it now? Sustainable. You know, I could go on and on and on. This is the east side of Bloomington looking at the west side of Bloomington. And so the Apostle Paul, at the beginning of Romans, is on the east side of Bloomington looking down his nose at the west side of Bloomington. He's looking down his nose at people who do crystal meth, He's looking down his nose at people who are gays and lesbians and acting on it. But that doesn't work, does it? Because there we have people on the west side of town looking down on people on the east side of town. (laughs) Okay, forget the east and west side of Bloomington. Let's just talk about the people of God in the world. The first chapter of Romans is God's people looking down their nose at people who don't claim to be God's people. And now are you with me? And they have certain things that are so wicked that it makes their skin crawl, okay? Now, what are those things that are so wicked that it makes their skin crawl? Well, God's people know what those things are because when Abraham was told that this would be his land, the land of Israel, the land, the promised land, the land of Canaan, it would be his land. He was told that it wouldn't be for four centuries. Why? Well, because God says in scripture, he was going to wait until the Canaanites did all these horrible things for so long that their wickedness had filled up the cup. The land would be polluted and God would then send his people in and they would wipe out all the Canaanites because they'd polluted the land. Now, what were those things? Those were the things in Romans 1. Principle among them were things like putting their little babies in the mouth of their God and burning their baby to death, thinking it pleased God. Child sacrifice. Planned parenthood. Okay? Their their sins also were having sex with a man if you're a man, having sex with a woman if you're a woman. These were things that only the Canaanites did. God's people never dreamed of giving themselves to homosexuality. And so the Apostle Paul goes through all the things that the dirty Gentiles did, right? And he lists them and lists them and lists them and lists them and lists them. And And then the apex of it, the very top, the thing that caused all the Jews, all God's people to just go, ah, was at the very end, he says, even their women have sex with other women instead of their men. And the men do the same thing. And now we're at the end of Romans chapter 1. And what happens there is that all God's people are like, yes, 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 you bet. All these disgusting people that chew tobacco and, and, and use opioids and, 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 and don't live a sustainable life and hunt and have guns. Now, you realize what I'm doing here. I'm dancing a little bit because I want you to understand what it would be like today if a preacher got up and gave a sermon on racial reconciliation. You know? And black lives matter. And me too. 
and sustainability. And we'd all be sitting here going, aren't we enlightened to be in this church with such an enlightened pastor who just strokes us just where we itch? And then if I'm at Lifeway Baptist, I do it a little different because it's far on the west side. But what I'm doing is I'm saying to everybody in church, look, don't worry about it. You're okay. <laughs> it's those nasty people who litter, you know, who, who drive big hog diesels, you know, and, and blow smoke on my Prius. And by the way, they do it intentionally. They have a little switch they throw. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I'll tell you about it afterwards if you want to know. It's wonderful. It's the way the west side finally gets the east side. You know? They flip the switch, and that Prius is just inundated with smoke. And so the, as the Apostle Paul goes on and on and on, condemning the Gentiles, all God's people, are reassured that they're clean. That they have observed the law, that they know the law, they order their lives by the law, and those Gentiles are disgusting. And so he comes to the end of chapter 1, and what does he say? Well, (laughs) the very beginning of chapter 2 is this. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. And if there's anything true of the east side of Bloomington, it's that it judges the west side of Bloomington. And we all know this. Ask Adam how he likes driving to the east side of Bloomington. Do you know Adam hates driving to the east side of Bloomington? I didn't know this until a couple years ago. Tell him it's the truth. It's the truth. And so here we are, all of us, and every single one of us passes judgment against other people. You wives pass judgment against your husbands. You husbands pass judgments against women. You children pass judgments against parents. You parents pass judgments against your kids' teachers. Your teachers pass judgments against parents. Pastors pass judgments on elders. Elders do pass judgments on pastors. And we're all really good at judging, and so the Apostle Paul knows he sucked them all in. He's given such a good description of the wickedness of the Gentiles, the Sabbath goy that he has them in the palm of his hands, and everybody's ready to stone them. And he says, therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. Why? Wait a second. I thought the whole point of listing their sins was so that I would be superior, and I'd be reassured that I am superior. That's what religion is for. And he says, therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. And he's not saying that to the Gentiles. He's not saying that to the Poles. He's saying that to the Germans. Okay? Do you all understand this? And all of a sudden, everybody is quiet. The Apostle Paul was successful. He got us to shut our mouths. Just shut your mouth. Stop judging. You who judge do the same things. Okay? Now, how do we do the same things? How do we do the same things? 
Well, he goes on, and we're, we're picking it up in the middle. But what he does is he says, you know, you can look down your nose at, you know, uh, at crackheads, you know, crystal meth. You can look down your noses at, at lesbians. You can do whatever you want. But he says there's something that's even worse than child sacrifice and sodomy. And what is that thing? The Apostle Paul is not de-escalating as he goes into Romans 2. Do you remember I told you that it is the most intensely condemning thing in Scripture when I listen to it of myself? He's not de-escalating, he's escalating. But how is he escalating? Well, because he moves to sin that is so awful that it makes sodomy look like it's nothing. What is that sin? That sin is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy makes sodomy look like righteousness. Hypocrisy is the greatest evil. Because hypocrisy takes the name of the Lord our God in vain. Hypocrisy uses God's name and God's sacraments and God's word and God's worship to cover sin. And that's much more wicked than giving yourself to sexual immorality. It's much worse. Everybody has always agreed that the crass sins of the west side of Bloomington are not nearly as wicked as the hypocrisy of religious people. Okay? Martin Luther, at the time of the Reformation, says this. He says, so we have admonished them to exhort the people diligently and frequently. So he's saying pastors need to exhort the people diligently, intensely, and frequently to repent and grieve over their sins and to fear the judgment of God. So he's talking about Christians, and he says pastors are to preach to Christians to fear God and to grieve and to mourn over their sins. This is Luther. This isn't Calvin. All right? And then he says this, nor are they, pastors, nor are they to neglect the greatest and most important element of repentance. In other words, when they preach repentance, there's something very important that they should say. For both John and Christ condemned the Pharisees more severely for their hypocritical holiness than for ordinary sins. Isn't that sweet? Jesus was intensely loving to hose to druggies. And Jesus had absolutely no patience for Presbyterian ministers. None. None. Baptist ministers, he had no patience. Okay? None. Luther ends this exhortation by saying, the preachers are to condemn the gross sins of the common man. Preachers are to say no to drug abuse. They're to say no to alcoholism. They're to say no to prostitution. They're to say no to abortion, right? The gross sins of the common man. But listen to what he then says. But more rigorously 
demand repentance where there is false holiness. And so, no, I can't stop condemning the sins of the west side of Bloomington. I will, I will tell you that when I moved from the east side to the west side, I had kept my door unlocked for the previous 15 years, even on vacation, never locked it, never did nothing. And while that house was being built, it got broken into and vandalized three times. And our church has been vandalized, I think, 11 times. That doesn't happen on the east side, hate to tell you. <laughs> it doesn't happen on the east side, you know. Okay, so there are gross sins of the west side, but those sins are nothing compared to the self-righteousness of the east side of Bloomington. There's something I find very, very healthy and delightful about the lottery and smoke shop. <laughs> you know, it's so direct. You know, there's no lying about what's going on in that store. You know, people who are idiots with their lungs and idiots with their wallets. But you know, it's so much better than hypocrisy because there's no pretense. There's absolutely no pretense. Nobody's lying about nothing. You know, somebody doesn't sort of slink in the store and I'll take a water ticket, you know, and a pack of marble. You know, it's just like, hey, I smoke, give me a pack. You know, hey, I like to gamble, give me a lottery ticket. Every one of you who passes judgment, you have no excuse. You judge another and you condemn yourself. You who practice, practice the same things. Four, verse 17, if you bear the name Jew, now what does this mean? If you bear the name Jew, what does it mean to bear the name Jew? What it means is that you trace your lineage, your race, back to Judah. Judah was the fourth son of Jacob. <laughs> Sorry, I always get Isaac and Jacob mixed up. And as the Jews went through captivity, they were sent out of their land. All their ethnicity, their racial heritage, their tribal heritage got thrown out. It got completely messed up. Completely messed up. And so people didn't know what tribe they were anymore. It's kind of like Native American today. We're so intermarried that, you know, making a claim that you have Native American heritage is a difficult thing. But... What they did do is they say we're Jews. And what they meant by Jews is we come from, from Judah. We come from the land of Judah. The Greek word was eudioi, Jews, plural. All right? And they called themselves Jews. And what they meant by that is God gave us the law, the Ten Commandments. God marked us by bringing us out of Egypt. God wiped out the wicked Canaanites with us. We are the people of privilege. And furthermore, to demonstrate it, to people, we are the circumcision, and they are the uncircumcision. Okay, so they call themselves Jews, right? For if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God, as a perfect description of religious people. You know, they call themselves Christians, they've been baptized, and they boast in God. Okay? And the Apostle Paul's saying, if that's you, you bear the name Jew, you rely upon the law, you boast 
in God. Verse 18, and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law. And so we claim to know the Bible. We know what God says. We've studied the Ten Commandments. So we know his will. And we approve the things that are essential. We don't make uh, mountains out of molehills. We don't uh, major in the minors. We don't, we don't replace God's big law with the little ones. In fact, we condemn people who replace God's big laws with all the little ones. We know the difference between littering and adultery. You see? They even have their priorities right. Okay? This is their boast. And you approve the things that are essential rather than the things that are non-essential, being instructed out of the law. It all comes out of the law. And, verse 19, are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness. Now, isn't this doing a good job of describing Tim Bailey? I'm confident that I'm a guide to the blind. Many of you have used me as a guide to the blind. I also am confident that the world is dark. All of us agree the world is getting darker. And we say, hey... We have the light, and we're not going to put it under a bushel because Jesus says, don't hide the light under the bushel, right? And so we're just being good Christians. Everything he says is just the basic commitment that good Christians have, right? We know the law. We know that, that, that God says to us about the law that it's his guide for the blind, a light to the darkness. Verse 20, a corrector of the foolish. Well, yes, yes. I delight in correcting the foolish. Because there's all kinds of people who are just foolish and they just need a little bit of correction. Are you all with me? Okay. And a teacher of the immature. Well, yes. That's why God puts little children in homes. Because little children are immature and they need people who will teach them. And the church is the same way. It's the family of God, and there are new Christians, and they're immature, and they need me, right, to teach them. I mean, that's what I do. Okay? Having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. And who can fault us for knowing in the law? It is the very living manifestation of truth. And didn't Jesus say in John 8, 31 and 32, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. I mean, who can object to any of this? You are going to be light. We're going to correct the foolish. We're going to grow into maturity, the immature, right? We're we're going to stand on the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Right? This is us. This is me. You see how he, he sucks us in? He's not interested in, in talking to people who aren't here. That's what most churches today all they talk about are the people out there and how much better we are than they are. What in the world is going on when we think that the people here just need to be reassured how good they are? I mean, honestly. That's the school of education. Verse 21, you 
<laughs> and we're all like, <laughs> by now we know when he says you, it probably is not going to be good news. Sure enough, he says you, therefore. <laughs> well, you add therefore to you. You know it ain't going to be good news, right? You, therefore, who teach another. <laughs> well, that's me. <laughs> Do you not teach yourself? I'm being swallowed by a boa constrictor. <laughs> and I don't like it very much. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? What do I say? No. I don't steal. But of course, you do, and you know you do. You steal time from your employer. You happen to take home another pencil. Or you don't give to God, you rob him. Remember Malachi? You rob him of his tithes. And you don't bother with offerings. Listen, you steal, and so does every preacher. There's not one preacher who does not steal. You know, men that talk about plagiarism and, and, and that a man shouldn't be in the ministry if he plagiarizes. <laughs> you know, when I first started preaching, I used to tell people, I don't have any original thoughts. Everything I say, I've read somewhere or heard somebody say, nothing is original. Okay? Pastors steal all the time when they preach. And yeah, it makes it better for me to tell you I steal from other men, and I suppose there is a standard for plagiarism that makes me righteous more than other pastors who take it word for word. But I often attribute to myself wisdom that I know I got from somebody else, and I don't bother attributing it to them, and not because I don't have the time to do it, but because I would just as soon have people think I'm deep Listen, I steal. I'm a preacher. I steal. He says, you who preach, that one shall not steal. Do you steal? The answer is yes. Now, this one gets a little easier for all of us. You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And there's not one person here that can't say that they committed adultery. Not one. Not a single person. And you say, oh, no. No, 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 no. Are you telling me that you're... I say, no. But look, you women, you look down your noses at the fact that your husbands are tempted to look at strange flesh, right? Oh, nothing makes you angrier than that. And then what do you do? Well, you read Amish romance novels. <laughs> and what is that but adultery? You read and fantasize about some dude that wants to talk to his wife. I hate to tell you, there ain't no such man. <laughs> the pictures of pornography are lies, and the descriptions of men in Amish romance novels are lies. There is no such woman, there is no such man, it's a fantasy, and that's adultery. Okay? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? 
You know, we look down our nose at the Roman Catholics for having, you know, a little picture of Mary or a statue in their front yard, right? And we rob temples. And you say, well, how do I rob temples? Well, (laughs) there's an infinite number of ways, and you can go into all the commentaries and see how this Calvin thinks this, and this person thinks this, and this person thinks... But listen, the way we rob temples is that we refuse to give God the honor that he's deserved. Or we use other people's paganism as means for us to profit. So we're Christians, and we hire Sabbath goyim. You know, we won't let our child grow up to play NFL, because it's on Sunday, but we watch it. We rob temples. We steal from holy things. You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? And then the killer, he says, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. And people, this is us. This is absolutely us. You show me a man who says that he doesn't steal, he doesn't commit adultery, he doesn't rob temples, and I show you a liar. I show you a man who has not an ounce of self-knowledge in himself, which I guess self-knowledge is in himself. This tells me to stop. Cancel. It's still going. Shut your mouth. Okay, now, now one other thing, and I'll be done. Why is the Apostle Paul doing this? He's doing it so that we'll be quiet and see what we really look like to God. What a, what a stinking mess we all are. And to stop looking down our noses at other people. To stop thinking that we can be good enough for God. You can't. You just can't be good enough for God. You may be blonde and pretty, Mary Ellen, but you can't be good enough for God. You can't. Okay? It is true that men have trouble understanding the sin of women, but there's not a woman here who's righteous. We are not good enough for God. And the Apostle Paul is not going to stop talking about this until we all shut our mouths. We just stop arguing. And we just say, I love you. Would you love me? And they say, why? And we say, well, because I love Jesus. Well, why do you love Jesus? Well, because uh, (laughs) he first loved me. Well, why did he love you? Well, (laughs) Because he came for the righteous, and I proved to be one of the ones he came for. No, he came for sinners, and I am the sinner he came for. And I'm telling you, there is not a person in the world that won't love you if you'll just shut your mouth and say those things. You just say, I qualify for the blood of Jesus because I'm a desperate sinner. What man ever has despised John Newton, the slaver? And when he came to Jesus, did John Newton talk about what a good man he was after he came to Jesus? He traded in slaves. 
There's never anybody who, will, who is a Christian who will not love you if you're a sinner. What they can't stand, real Christians, are Pharisees and hypocrites. Because they corrupt the church. They make it unsafe to be a sinner in church. That's actually what they do. And so we're going to keep going in Romans. And you might say, well, I've had about enough. The boa constrictor has gotten up to my neck. And I say, well, the Apostle Paul isn't done yet. He's going to keep going. Because apparently he thinks some of us have not shut our mouths yet. (laughs) Some of us still think maybe there's hope in our goodness. And, And the answer is there's not. So let's close our worship by singing praise to God.